You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's February 5th. As Congress considers yet another COVID-19 relief package, debate over sending stimulus checks to Americans has dominated the conversation. While discussions about stimulus checks are important, Rand's Catherine Edwards says that they've overshadowed the true policy innovation of this recession, bold federal intervention in the state-based unemployment insurance program. This federal intervention began with the CARES Act last March, which provided an extra $600 per week on top of state benefits to people who lost their jobs. That extra weekly payment has since been set at a lower but still substantial $300. This temporary change has provided remarkably high benefits for more workers across the country. And although this was a short-term experiment born of necessity, it could have a lasting influence on public policy. As Edwards puts it, Washington will likely never again rely solely on the rickety state-based unemployment system during a recession. Why? Well, first of all, millions of Americans, many of whom had never interacted with the unemployment system before, now have a fresh understanding of the need for robust unemployment insurance. Second, this past year has produced new evidence suggesting that cash benefits don't disincentivize work. In general, people want to be employed, and they place more value on a long-term job than on a short-term benefit. Finally, the ongoing economic fallout from the pandemic has provided even more proof that state programs alone are insufficient. So what does all this mean for the future of unemployment insurance in America? According to Edwards, there's little reason to keep the program as is. The Biden administration's plan to combat domestic extremism, the kind of extremism that led to last month's deadly attack on the Capitol, will use many of the same tactics as post-9-11 efforts to stop attacks by homegrown jihadists. But according to renowned RAND terrorism expert Brian Michael Jenkins, shutting down today's domestic extremists will present new and more difficult challenges. Jenkins testified about this issue before the House Committee on Homeland Security yesterday. For the past 20 years, homegrown jihadists have been a principal concern of authorities. Efforts to thwart their plots, fortunately, have been largely successful. I believe that shutting down domestic violent extremists may prove far more difficult. They are better organized than the homegrown jihadists, and recent actions have given them the opportunity to expand their networks. They are better armed. Some have military or police experience. Intelligence operations may operate in a less permissive environment. And programs aimed at preventing radicalization will provoke greater resistance. Jenkins also points out that, unlike jihadist ideology, the dangerous beliefs held by domestic extremists are deeply rooted in American history and society. These individuals are the latest incarnation of beliefs and quarrels, reaching back to the 19th century. They may be contained, but never entirely rooted out. Americans who are unable to make their rent or mortgage payments slept, on average, 22 fewer minutes a night than their peers who aren't experiencing such problems. 
people who were forced to move because of financial problems lost even more sleep, averaging 32 fewer minutes a night than their peers who were not forced to move. This data comes from a new RAND study, the first to demonstrate that housing insecurity represents a distinct impediment to healthy sleep duration and quality. These findings show how critical the stability and condition of our home environments are to health and well-being. And understanding the health effects of housing insecurity is especially important during the pandemic, as millions of Americans struggle to make their full housing payments. This week, a Moscow court sentenced Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny to more than two years in prison. Navalny had been detained since January 17th, shortly after he returned to Russia from Berlin, where he was recovering from being poisoned with a Soviet-era nerve agent. Rand experts say that this week's ruling to extend Navalny's imprisonment may only galvanize his supporters, who have been turning out by the tens of thousands to protest his arrest. Our researchers also noted that Western leadership has a role to play here, suggesting that personal attention from the likes of President Biden could reduce the risk of another attempt on Navalny's life. Biden, in fact, had already raised concerns about Navalny's arrest on a call with Vladimir Putin last week. And in remarks about America's role in the world yesterday, the president said that the U.S., quote, would not hesitate to raise the cost on Russia and defend our vital interests and our people. Despite such high-profile support, it's unclear what will happen next with Navalny. Although he may not pose a near-term threat to Putin's rule, he still has time to play a historic role in Russia's political fate. Do the behavioral health disparities that we see in the civilian population also exist in the U.S. military? A new RAND report helps answer this question. The findings reveal that there are disparities among service members. Some mirror what we see in the civilian world. For example, both civilian and military women are more likely than men to report mental health problems. And women are less likely to abuse alcohol and use tobacco products. Another similar pattern, sexual minority groups in both the military and civilian worlds have higher rates of heavy drinking relative to their heterosexual peers a disparity that's even greater in the military. But our study also showed that patterns in health disparities can differ among military and civilian populations in some important ways. For instance, Hispanic and non-Hispanic black service members have higher rates of suicide attempts than their white peers. But the opposite is true among civilians. Members of minority groups make up a larger percentage of the U.S. military than ever before. And so information about these disparities is important. It can help the Department of Defense target its efforts to address the true needs of service members and improve military readiness. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.